Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. One, he says, it's on air at City Limits. It's the fourth Wednesday of the month. That means we have no specific subject this week, but we have general. And, of course, I've got the great, the great fight on today, the great fight. <laughs> great fight. <laughs> I hope it's not going to be. It's going to be a lovely... It's going to be a lovely fireside chat. And he's pressing the buttons over there. And we've How got we? Mark Allen, who's uh, who just said those wonderful comments. Uh, Lynn Drummond's here as well. Lynn, hi and, everybody. Uh, I'm Kevin Healy, of course. Or am I? Of course, I'm, I'm Kevin Healy anyway. Uh, whatever. Um, and um, Sue Bolton's coming in. She's caught up in traffic. And I was just saying, Mark said he got off the tram in Smith Street and walked because the traffic is so mm. thick out there. It was quicker to walk. And I just—it's chock a block from one end to the other. I just rode past all the cars coming down here, but um, it's it's incredible. Did you there. feel slightly smug? I did, and mm. I don't know what's uh, I don't know what's I don't know what's caused it. I mean, there was no obvious roadworks or anything that causing it, but it's just chock a block. <gasps> Could be our growing other. population. No, Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you just might be right, and that of course raises the fact that we're going to have the population debate today. Yeah, <clears throat> and. Um, and um, Sue's coming in for that as well, of course. That's why Sue Bolton's coming in. Sue, for those who don't know, Sue is a <coughs> Socialist Alliance councillor in uh, in Moreland, Brian's McMorland, and she um, she has rung to say she's caught up in the same mm. traffic. I'll be here shortly. Mm. Um, we're going to be talking the first part just shortly to David Cox, who's a, an expert. He works for a mob called um, I think it's called MRH or MRA. Do you know them at all? They're a consulting, environment consulting mob, but anyway. Oh, nice. But he's speaking at these seminars at Bayside on recycling issues, so we'll get him shortly. We'll talk to him It'll about be very interesting to talk some to of him. those. We might, because we've got limited time for that today, I think we might even pursue it at some other time um, again. Yeah. By the way, um, just on events of the last couple of days, um, one of our regular uh, regulars, Helen Vandenberg, mm. was on Radio National this morning uh, talking about mm. the Essendon Airport because she's been part of that campaign. Yes. And I was hoping to get maybe get well maybe get her on next week, John McPherson Day, but we might get Helen just to comments. But she was on, yeah. and so Radio National listeners also now know how articulate Helen Vandenberg That's is, right. and That's how right. passionate. Exactly, uh, yes. she was wonderful this morning again. But yes. uh, well, we won't say any more about that yesterday. Oh well, I mean it, there is a problem because it, it Fox. Well, we've got an issue here where Lindsay Fox is saying that uh, the trucking industry. Uh, May well look for alternate routes to free to the tollways because the toll on heavy vehicles is going up in April, and he says they'll therefore be looking for alternate routes back on you know back on ordinary street or, or non tolled right. non tolled freeway so called freeway streets again. Uh, this is the man, of course, who owns the Essendon Airport, right? Uh, and puts all these buildings there and gets all the rent. And of yes. course, that's that is definitely part of it. Uh, yes. Although even before they all went there, there was that terrible accident, what twenty or more years ago now, thirty years probably, 
where a plane crashed into a house and killed. Was it? Was it? Whatever year it was. I didn't know about these accidents until yesterday. I didn't know that this isn't the first. I know it's over a long period, but nevertheless. Well, there's near ones, obviously. Yeah. uh, But yeah, yeah, but there was the one that crashed into and burnt the house, and all the residents and young kids were killed. I would imagine the airport site would be some pretty precious real estate if they were to subdivide it for residential. Um, Well, Fox is using it as such anyway, of course. Well, yeah, and that's the argument that they've they've taken away any of the. any of the strips that allowed them to, um, you know, to, to crash land if need be, yes. without running into buildings and people. Yes. And and in this case, it could well have landed on on Blindlewa Freeway, of course. Well, it could. Ah, oh, I mean, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pour myself a cup. Anyone else want a cup of tea while I'm at it? I've already got one going. Um, yeah. Lynn, you can have a no, cup of tea. No, I've had one already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got it early. Right. Oh, yeah. I have to caffeinate myself a little <laughs> earlier than you. Priorities right. To get my brain. Okay. Look, I'm going to. Here we go. Brain. We'll just here pour go. this. I've got a smaller cup here this morning for myself, but here we go. Right. Did people hear that okay? I'm not sure. For those <laughs> listening, I'd like to say we yeah. have a very large yeah. teapot. Oh, and also Kevin's had a haircut. Yes, that's what the yeah, annual. The annual. Got over the shock. Here, <laughs> it's looking good. It's looking good. Yeah, it's good. The yeah. annual. Uh, We're going to talk about recycling today, and that's uh, before the, the population discussion with Sue. So that's something that interests me very much. I get very confused. In, in my council area, for example, you cannot put your p- plastic bags in the in the recycling bin, but in the neighbouring council area, you can. And you, I wonder. Does all the recycling go to the same depot? And if if so, why do councils have such different rules on recycling? Yes, questions to ask, David Cox, of course. I did raise with him that we'd put to him whether when we do put the yellow bin out, we we never know how much of that actually genuinely gets Mm. recycled. Um, Anyway, there was an article this week by a bloke called Jim O'Neill because the the Financial Review's got a coming up, a a, um, business summit coming up shortly where all these big business people from all over the place are going to tell people and tell themselves how to make killings and make the world a better place for all of us. And so some of the key speakers have been writing uh, articles and a bloke, this bloke called Jim O'Neill, former chairman of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, so it, he's obviously a respectable and wonderful Absolutely. human being. Yes, 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 yes. He's a keynote speaker. But he talks about the fact that, well, the headline is, and it says, says what the story says, globalisation is tough, but it's the best cure for inequality by far. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and he tells how all these countries have lifted under globalisation. But his conclusion completely bamboozles me, because his last two paragraphs say... This reminds me of a sad story I heard from some laid-off Goodyear tyre workers in Wolverhampton, England. They told me that job listings for their lost positions were posted on a notice board and they could reapply for them if they wanted to move to Mexico. The workers surmised that it was easier for the company to close its factory in the UK than to close even less productive factories in France or Germany. Then the next paragraph ending the the article says, despite the many challenges it has created, globalisation has made the world a better place than it might have been and we still need it to to eradicate the poverty and generate higher living standards for all. Uh, (laughs) Can anyone explain to me how those two go together? It's, it's ideology, isn't it? If you if you have a strong ideological belief, you can you can justify anything to suit your ideology. You can just ignore blind facts. Right. Not everyone in Wolverhampton can pour uh, can have a job pouring coffee. You know, I mean, no, this is the thing. No. You, you, there's only a certain number of jobs uh, serving coffee that you can do in a given place. No, and not every person who's cut forests down for most of their life can go and serve a latte either. So exactly. you've really got to have a transition program for those people. Got to have a transition program. The answer isn't just to keep chopping down the trees. 
Well, exactly. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. We're going to need a, Sue's just arrived. We're going to need, look. We'll take a quick break because Sue's here, and we're okay. going to have to rearrange the furniture a bit. So, all right, um, let's let's do that. Gear. Okay, furniture's rearranged. Sue's settled in, um, and I'll pour it. She wants a cup of tea. It's good to know someone else wants a cup of pouring the tea. There you go. Right. Yes. She got the big cup. Okay, before we go to our first guest, which we'll do in a minute, there's another article this week that um, will cheer us all up no end. New South Wales has found the answer to homelessness. Um, Glenn Stevens, the recently retired Reserve Bank Governor, who's been overseeing um, neoliberal economics for all these years, has been appointed by the New South Wales Government to do an inquiry in how to make housing more affordable. Listen, that should that should work wonders, shouldn't problem it? Problem solved, then. Yeah, we can all. Yeah, that's home. it. That's it. I think the problem's now over. Um, but the homeless has been whooping it up on the streets in Sydney ever since, because you know. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, no doubt about it. They're just troublemakers, Kevin. Don't worry about them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. At least thought that was interesting. Also, um, a report last week by another former governor, Bernie Fraser. Uh, into superannuation because, as you know, the government wants to uh, change superannuation so the banks and the big investors can get their hands on all the workers' money. Yeah. Uh, and they're saying they have to change the, the structure of the board so that unions don't control them uh, because unions have no idea. Just they, they just ignore the minor little fact that they're the ones making money and the others aren't because they're charging fees and taking, taking money off the top. But uh, anyway, his report came back and said, well, the current structure doesn't need to be changed. It's all working very well. But this hasn't stopped the usual suspects coming out day after day recently, still saying we desperately need to change the whole super thing. Um, so there you are. Um, so, But it is under threat. I mean, the government is serious about trying to get unions out of the super funds and have that money go to the banks. And of course, most of the workers' money will end up in the pockets of the uh, It doesn't surprise me at all. I think the government rely upon people not worrying too much about their super. I mean, I'm not taking their super very seriously. Yeah. They're just like, oh, my money goes into the super, mm. and they just sort of ignore it. And, and I'm like with my super. It's like I want to know exactly where this money's going and how it's yeah. being spent. But so unfortunately for the government, there's also another article this week that says that the vast majority of people, young people getting going into super are going into industry funds and not the bank funds, yeah, right. which is more incentive for the banks to get their hands on it. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. that's right. There's a lot of money that's in right. super, isn't there? A lot of money. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. All right, look, we're going to take a break. Get David Cox on the line. What company is it again? And what? Um, tell us a bit about it. It's, uh, I work for MRA Consultant. Uh, we're a, a general uh, environmental consulting firm. Uh, education work with around about 20 councils across Victoria, New South Wales to support um, their waste education needs and help inform their communities about the services that are available. Okay, and you're on today because you're going to be speaking or addressing a... Uh, well, there's a series of seminars, I think, run by the City of Bayside, and there's one next Saturday, I know. Yeah. Um, and I've also got other people. There's, there's, you won't know them all, but Lynn and Mark and um, Sue, etc. in the studio. There's a whole heap of people here, but we'll sort it out. Uh, but look, sure. uh, um, just, uh, I guess, the question, of, the first question I want to ask, because one that we all want to know, when we put that yellow bin out every week, how much of that stuff genuinely gets recycled? So everything that goes into the recycling bin uh, will get in the base get taken to a recycling can you, By the way, your, your, your mobile's dropping out a bit. Can you... So, yeah. can, is that okay? That's better, yeah. That's all that's better. better. Yeah. yeah, so everything you put in that recycling bin goes to the recycling facility. Um, so it all goes through the recycling process. Uh, so 100% of what you put in your recycling bin will go to recy- the recycling facility used by Bayside. 
Um, the challenge is when people put material in there that shouldn't be recycled, say, for example, garbage in a garbage bag. Um, and the way that the recycling facility manages this is they have people picking out bags of garbage as the material comes in. Um, but also, uh, sometimes that might be open, there might be material loss because there's a bit of contamination. But essentially, everything that goes in that garbage bin will go to the recycling facility. And if it can be recycled, it will be recycled. Um, but there is a loss due to contamination. So, for example, if people put um, bags of garbage in them, that's going to go to landfill. Um, or, but everything else will get recovered. Or paper that might have had olive oil leak over it or something. Yeah, so it, obviously paper gets paper gets separated out, and uh, but if it's uh, majorly contaminated with food, like it's covered in food scraps or or soaked in uh, in uh, olive oil, um, then that obviously wouldn't get separated out, uh, and that would most likely go to landfill. Mm. Do, do, do you have, like, councils sharing one facility? Because, um, as I mentioned earlier, some councils, for example, will say you can put plastic bags in, in the yellow bin and other councils will say that you, you can't. Yeah. And I was yeah. just wondering, if, if it all goes to the same facility, why are there such such differences between councils? So there's there's um, three major recycling facilities um, called mixed recycling facilities, or MRFs, um, scattered across uh, the Melbourne, um, Melbourne metropolitan area. Um, and they all, each all have a slightly different specification in terms of what they will and won't accept. Um, uh, thin film, thin plastic bags is, is a is a an ongoing issue. Um, in that some uh, some facilities are trialling ways in which uh, residents can put, for example, a bag full of plastic bags in their rubbish bin, uh, and that will then get recycled. Um, Bayside City Council doesn't offer that service. Um, that's not to say in the future at some time the facility that they're using uh, won't introduce a mechanism to do that. But at the moment, that would present a problem because the at the facility, they see a bag that's full of plastic bags. They can't tell the difference between a bag full of plastic bags or a bag full of rubbish, so yeah. it wouldn't get recycled. And, so, that, and that goes with people who put their recycling in garbage bags as well. Likewise, yeah, yeah likewise. Yeah. Now, uh, realistically, uh, the, the plastic bags with um, recycling often get broken open in in the back of the compactor, um, uh, which is the collection truck. But we we strongly recommend against people doing that, or we, we say please don't do that because if you get a bag, regardless whether it's full of garbage or recyclables, that presents at the recycling facility, they're not going to open the bag. Um, they have no choice but to say that's garbage. Mm-hmm. What are the main things people put in that they shouldn't? Okay, so the the absolute number one thing you've already hit on, and that's the uh, uh, recyclable inside a plastic bag. Uh, people think they're doing the right thing. Um, perhaps they've, they're collecting the recyclables got a, uh, in a plastic bag inside the house. Uh, but that is probably the number one uh, thing that we, we ask people not to do. Um, we do get a fair bit of garbage in plastic bags, so people doing the wrong thing where they know uh, perhaps their bins have overflown and said, oh, I'll just throw it in the recycling bin. But that does present a big problem. Um, and then the minor issues are, um, for example, uh, where they might have put the wrong sort of material in. So a real classic one that it's, it's, you would, it's not immediately obvious is, for example, if you break a glass in your house, you can't put that in your recycling bin. It's made out of a different sort of glass. Um, whereas all your jars and your... Um, to the supermarket, they're of a glass that can be recycled. So those those lesser issues um, are presented as well. Things like polystyrene, unfortunately, aren't recyclable. So people put polystyrene in the recycling bin, that won't get recycled. Um, so there's there's some um, materials where the message is a little bit complicated and people make commonly make mistakes. But the number one is uh, 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 problem is people putting um, recyclables in plastic bags. 
um, and or putting bags of garbage in the rubbish bin. Just on another slightly different topic, um, this week the Victorian Government, I think it was Monday, um, launched an energy from waste tender. Um, they're committing about $2 million to, um, to build the biggest grid-scale battery in Australia and um, asking for expression of interest from, by, I think it's April 1st. In 2014 to 15, according to a report, about 300,000 tonnes of food waste. There was 300, sorry, 300,000 tonnes of food waste, but of only 22% of that was able to be recycled. Do you have any comments on this proposal by the Victorian government and also that huge figure of the amount of food waste and the amount that's being recycled, which is pretty low? From what I understand, the, um, the $2 million funding that was announced by Sustainability Victoria um, is asking for expressions of interest for uh, anyone interested in investing in um, infrastructure that could uh, recover energy from the garbage stream. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not aware that it's associated with a specific proposal. I think it's an open process where they're, they're asking the, the public or the market to say, if you're going to invest, give us your, your proposal. If it stacks up, we'll support you with the money. Um, so I don't think that SB have uh, predetermined, or the state of Victoria predetermined an outcome for how that, uh, who will receive that money or what sort of technology. Um, I think in metropolitan Melbourne, certainly in around the southeast of Melbourne, there's uh, a large amount of material that's going to the landfill and any um, investment in any technology or process that obviously complies with environmental requirements, regulations and emissions requirements, um, that can recover energy and divert from landfill, I think is fundamentally a good thing. Um, so we'll see what pans out from that expression of interest. I, I think uh, $2 million is, uh, is a good start in terms of um, offering some funding support to uh, the industry. Um, with food waste, you've hit the nail on the head. It's our biggest organic material in our garbage stream. Food waste in particular is probably the number one issue we're tackling with. Um, and there's a range of ways in which we, as members of the community, can do something about it. Um, and one is just, for example, having a, a compost bin at home or having a worm farm so the material doesn't end up in your garbage bin. Um, or if you've got an opportunity to get hold of a, an organic garden organics bin from your from your council, get one of those, so all your garden organics go into that as opposed to the rubbish bin, and then you've really only got a couple of bags full of food waste to deal with each week through a compost bin or a worm farm. Um, failing that, we really need to start looking at um, infrastructure and services that will help us as households to pull that material out of our, our landfill bin. And so we are seeing some trials in metropolitan area uh, where uh, people are able to put their food waste in the green waste bin. Um, so you've got your food waste and your green waste going in one bin and what's left in your rubbish bin really is just the residual stuff that can't be recycled. Just going back to that battery very briefly, apparently the plan was for it to be located in it's a 20 megawatt um, grid located in northwest or southwest Victoria where there is a bit of, where their the particular energy needs need a bit of a beef up, particularly electricity um, I don't know whether you could comment on other areas of Victoria. I, 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 I'm not actually aware of the battery proposal. I'm sorry, I, I don't know about it. Um, so the, I'm aware of the, the $2 million SB uh, grant that was just being raised. Um, uh, as I said, which was for investment in waste energy uh, technologies and infrastructure. But I wasn't aware of a, a battery proposal. I, I, 
David, we've got to move on. We're going to have to wind up. We'll have to sure. do this again, I think, because there's so much to cover in this area. Is, but yeah. um, can you give us just some details about the Bayside thing and is it open to anyone who wants to go to it? Sure. So there's two workshops being conducted by Bayside City Council on Saturday, the 25th of February. That's this Saturday. Uh, the first workshop's at uh, 11 o'clock uh, and it's um, called a State of Waste Workshop. Uh, during which we'll we'll get run through. Uh, it's aimed at um, adults and and uh, older children over twelve years old. And essentially, we're we're providing a, a range of tips on how to recycle um, right. I.e., what materials should go in what bin, um, how to minimise your waste uh, across your in, in your household, how, how to cut down on the amount of waste that you're generating, um, and how to create a more sustainable lifestyle. Um, we'll talk about where the materials uh, go once they go into the recycling bin. Uh, uh, and about the recycling processes, uh, and we'll talk about the environmental impacts of waste. So, uh, what are the drivers? Why do we want to reduce the amount of waste that we produce? Why, why do we want to uh, reduce the amount of waste that goes to landfill? What are the negative aspects associated with landfill in terms of environmental impacts and social impacts? And we'll talk through some trends and innovations that occur in the waste and recycling industry. The second workshop is a kids' recycling workshop. Um, uh, a lot more fun. Um, where we provide, again, some tips and tricks on how to recycle right. Um, but really, this is aimed at uh, providing information on the five key recyclable materials, um, being your paper, your cardboard, your, your metals, your aluminium cans, your plastic bottles and, and your glass jars, uh, and which bin that they should go in. And we run an um, interactive uh, sort of activity where, where the kids will, will help us sort all the recycled material from the garbage and I show you it's clean garbage uh, into the right, right into the right into the right bin, and then we'll go through it and and uh, see how well we actually did. Radio, and where are they going to be held? Um, so both of these are uh, being. I'll just give you a location here. So the both these workshops are being uh, held at the council corporate centre, and that's at seventy six Royal Avenue in Sandringham. Uh, and bookings are essential. Yeah. Um, they can be done online or over the phone, and the number for that is mm-hmm. 95994495. 5994495, five, what you said. Yeah. Okay, look, David, thanks for your time, and um, good luck with it all. Thanks for that, Okay, thank hey, you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, David Cox there, and well, Sue, you're a Moreland councillor. Do you have any thoughts on that briefly before we go on? Uh, the whole recycling thing and what Moreland's doing and not doing, whatever? Well, I mean, the Moreland Council's waste contract is about to come up, um, you know, for voting again. Um, I mean, it's interesting just um, hearing, um, you know, some of the issues in terms of recycling, um, in terms of, you know, people's personal waste and so forth and the different rules of different councils, which I think makes it incredibly confusing but also possibly lack of education of people about recycling. Now, that seems um, like an unusual comment to make because there is, you know, there has been a strong recycling push in Australia for a very long time. But, you know, as um, sometimes new young people move out of home or you have tourists in Australia or whatever, the whole recycling culture 
doesn't necessarily totally communicate to new tenants of um, particular buildings. Mm. But beyond the actual personal recycling, even more important is the whole issue of industrial and construction Mm. recycling. Mm. And I think, um, like with a lot of environmental policy in Australia, there's a lot of emphasis on the individual and the individual household, Mm. which is important. But there's a total ignoring of big business and the big corporations. Mm. Like if you look at building sites Mm. or a lot of businesses uh, are the building out of totally unsustainable products like cement and Mm. concrete. And, you know, I mean, industrial waste is generally not really recycled very much uh, and not much pressure on corporations, companies Mm. to actually recycle is my impression. Mm. Turn out the lights when you leave the room and um, climate change is addressed. That's it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, look, we'll take a break. uh, And we've got about half an hour left, so uh, we're back for the big fight. (laughs) Fireside chats. (laughs) This is a a debate we've promised for some weeks. This is about uh, population. We know, um, well, both, I think both Mark and Sue have slightly different views on it anyway, and that's what we're going to... sort out today Um, so Mark I thought because your position um, uh, is is something that Sue probably would challenge or you might even challenge hers of course but uh, perhaps you perhaps if you gave five minutes roughly five minutes each just to outline your position on the issue and then we'll take it from there I had to make a decision about where I was going to channel my interest in the environment and social justice and I focused on town planning which is why most of my campaigning and activism is based from a town planning perspective. And because I'm interested in sustainable town planning, what I want to see and what's crucial to me is that we create resilient public transport orientated communities that have access to urban agriculture, all of the things that we need to be doing in order to create the low carbon economy that we need to transition to. Um, in order to not only mitigate climate change but live in in, in a sort of post-climate change world. Um, so as a sustainable planner, I can't ignore the population issue because if populations grow at a, at a very high rate, it has an impact on the planning outcomes that we have. Um, and what I've noticed in Australia and what's, what's increasingly happening in Australia is that we have a, a rate of high population increase here which is for economic GDP purposes. Um, so our economy is increasingly becoming reliant upon property speculation and property investment, which is, which is very, very bad because it means that rather than investing in innovation and small business, people are investing in property. And of course, we've got the situation where um, people are struggling to buy a house and so we have this huge affordable housing crisis. What, what my emphasis is, is, is that we should, our population policy in Australia should not be based around GDP economics because that creates bad planning outcomes. It creates the, the poor quality high density development that we're getting in Melbourne. It's creating the increased urban sprawl. And urban sprawl is a, is a shocking thing for climate change. It's, it's all very well saying we need a clean energy re- revolution, but if we create car dependent urban sprawl that's built on our food belt, you know, it's going to make it so much harder to to do what we need to do in order to combat climate change. So I think the planning aspect of climate change is often overlooked. We're we're very drawn on renewables, and renewables is very, very important. We've got to get the land use planning right. 
So it's pointless growing our population if we're going to create communities that are not not resilient and not sustainable. It doesn't benefit the people who, who come here in the long run. It certainly doesn't benefit the people who don't come here who have to deal with the increased carbon emissions of not, not only building this, because a lot of high carbon goes into building suburbia, and then there's a lot of high carbon that goes into running and maintaining suburbia. So it doesn't benefit those people, and it doesn't benefit anyone. So what our population policy in Australia needs to focus on is compassion, supporting refugees, being an open, uh, multicultural, tolerant society. We are, a, we are a nation of immigration, and that's one of our greatest strengths. But we need to focus on that rather than just growing the population purely for the sake of the economy. And by doing that, we can make sure that our population growth is in sync with climate change targets, infrastructure targets... Um, and biodiversity targets, and crucially, creating those resilient, sustainable communities that are absolutely necessary for us to create the social and environmental resilience as we go forward. So that would be my 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 um, perspective, and that's where I come from um, as an activist and who's, who takes a particular interest in climate change and uh, and um, and the environment and population and those things. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're going this? Yeah, no. I think this. I mean, I think it's great that you've organised this debate, and I can also see where Mark's coming from, especially um, being um, involved in environmental sustainability, but also a town planner. So I can see mm. why you feel, um, you know, the, the conflicts that that um, would create. However, I feel that this is a very important question for the environmental movement and I think it um, – but I think it's a bit of a red herring. I think it's really by focusing on population, it's focusing on a symptom and not the cause. And um, and certainly I can appreciate that Mark is not um, falling into the camp of the populationists who actually have a racist tinge. I mean, you're obviously anti-racist, want to see a humane outcome. Absolutely. Um, so that's why it is important to have this discussion. But I think um, conservative right-wing forces use the issue of population. I'm not accusing you of being conservative or right-wing because you're coming from a different area. Of but. But I think in terms of the ruling class and the ruling yes. elite, do um, use this issue to uh, try and justify a whole range of things. They try and justify population increase as a reason for why infrastructure might be crumbling, etc. cetera, uh, when actually the real reason um, why infrastructures um, might be crumbling is because of the... Um, sacking of tens of thousands of public servants and the decline of skills in in the public sector as a result of that and the privatisation and um, the refusal of, you know, private companies to really, private corporations of the, the owners of the privatised assets to invest in um, various um, various things. And what we've got is development, which we agree on this point, um, development in our cities and suburbs is um, based on private speculation mm. um, for the greatest gain. And I think that, I think what we've got to focus on is this privatised economy. And there are, 
and it is interesting when people talk about population growth. I guess you've you know you've got to talk about what you're talking about. Uh, sorry, what the focus is of the discussion. So when people talk about population growth in Australia, they always talk about overseas populate overseas migration. They never talk about interstate migration. And for example, I remember after Jeff Kennett was elected, there was a massive migration from Victoria to Queensland. Um, and also we've had over decades now in Australia a massive migration from um, country to city, which is um, interstate um, population growth. And I do remember in the late 80s in the environmental movement, there was a campaign by some in the environmental movement to say that people shouldn't move from other parts of Australia to Canberra because Canberra had such a pristine special environment that there should be a population limit on who could move from in, from even nearby um, to Canberra. And similar thing in the environmental movement in Tasmania, wanting to block migration from other parts of Australia to Tasmania. So, um, But what I do notice, so that was a, tr- a trend or a strand in the 80s, but now it's the... Um, focus seems to be exclusively on stopping immigration. But I think if you look at a whole range of, ac- uh, of aspects, you know, the um, if you stopped immigration tomorrow to Australia um, and had zero, you know, population growth, we would still have an environment that is being destroyed because of the choices that corporations have made about the production processes that they will use to um, make things um, and that we, we really only have limited choices. When If you go to a supermarket, um, you ha- the choice is already made for you by the corporations that have made things. So you'll um, buy product X or Y or, you know, um, but, you know, the production of that you don't actually have a choice in. Mm-hmm. And ditto with... Um, you know, the privatisation of um, public transport. You know, we've had in Australia all a lot of public transport infrastructure used to exist that governments and corporations have been on a mission to destroy over decades, mm, mm. including the city I come from or the state I come from originally. I'm an ex-bus driver. In Brisbane, there was a big strike to keep trams on the road and they burnt the trams to end the strike um, and uh, forced all tram drivers to become bus drivers. In those days, most workers didn't own cars, but now there's a whole lot of things if we want to create a public transport system to replace the need for so many cars on the road, which is what I firmly believe. And I don't think that shift can be achieved by um, lecturing people not to drive. You actually have to create the mm. alternative mm. first. But there are whole, there's a tangle of a whole lot of things that we've created since the privatisation of public transport, the destruction of public transport, and the pressure on people to buy cars, mm. um, and and once we that shift started to be made, then it meant that people's lives started to be developed in a complex web across the city. Because I gather that most trips by car are not necessarily to work, 
but for recreation shopping and taking kids mm. to school and the push to private schools has created that. I've, mm. Sounds like I've gone off topic a little bit. No, but, well, it's all but it's sort of It is connected. It is, absolutely. And, and if you look at the, um, you know, various state governments, state and federal governments, um, you know, sometimes say, off oh, population increase, that's what's... Um, causing overcrowded trains and this and that. But actually it's not that. It's the fact that they've refused to invest in public infrastructure. And if you look at people using, um, using you know, our infrastructure, it's a combination of people who might have been long-term residents of Australia. It might be new migrants or newly born people in Australia. But also there's a massive amount of tourism in Australia. Mm. And... Um, turning education into a commodity, both for local students as well as overseas students. And no one ever questions the large number of tourists to Australia. It's only migrants that people question. And that I, I don't I think it's looking at the symptoms rather than the cause. We need to address the fact that the corporations and their governments um, both Liberal and Labor, a running society into the ground, both in terms of infrastructure, mm. in terms of, you know, these developments mm. where 10% of these unlivable flats um, mm. are, are vacant and mm. yet they won't, cre- won't allow public mm. housing in, in, um, to be built in Australia at the moment or in, mm. in Victoria at the moment. Anyway, so... I've, you know, touched on a few no, different elements yeah. and yeah, look at I, I, I agree with everything you say. These are all pertinent issues. It's disappointing. This is supposed to be a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only difference we have is on the po- population issue. And and so basically, the point I'm making is is that those are important issues. But rapid population increase is is part part of it. So it's part of the whole thing. And you can't, uh, you can't sort of separate it and say, oh, you, we're going to separate the population issue. Now, you're talking about um, corporatization and how we've got to deal with the underlying problems of basically neoliberalism. But the, the population policy in Australia that I'm critiquing is straight out of the neoliberal handbook. This is, this is exactly what's happening in this country. It is a deliberate way of creating basically propping up the housing bubble it's creating that demand so that it's it's the it's the it's the neoliberal growth at all costs oh, this country is is now so reliant upon population growth and, and property speculation that it's it, it is it is one of their main kind of one of their main drivers of this sort of growth based economy so i just i just want to point that out um in terms of um saying that population is an issue that's that is you know by the right, the, the right wing, and, and how they've kind of hijacked it. I think that's even more of a reason why progressives should talk about population, because what worries me is that people like Pauline Hanson and now Corey Bernardi are kind of seizing the agenda on population. And that's very, very frightening, because what they do is they make scapegoats out of refugees. There was a classic, just on that, there was a classic article by Tom Elliott, the Herald Sun political writer, a feature article last Friday about Corey Bernardi and saying Corey's right on this issue. But he, he raises every cliche you've been talking about, about why we can't bring immigrants here because they're doing all this, including taking jobs. You know, the yeah. poor in Australia can't get jobs yeah. because they're coming and they're undercutting wages. All the usual crap arguments yeah. and praising Corey. So he is really maintaining that right-wing argument very strongly. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's, what, <coughs> that's what worries me greatly. 
Um, but what what my what my main concern, the only thing that, that that really concerns me is the is the urban sprawl and the very poor quality sort of high density that we're we're having at the moment. And right now, our planning system is is really not up to scratch. And most of the development that's going on on the fringe is car dependent, you know. And once you once you build this development, it's very very difficult to reverse it. And Melbourne's population is increasing by a hundred thousand a year, and it's very very difficult to plan sustainably at that rate of population growth. So even if we created the most utopian planning system possible, the kind of development that we need in order to combat climate change and create those resilient uh, communities is basically either um, regeneration of existing land within, within the metropolitan area, so brownfield sites, urban regeneration, or we need to be building new towns beyond the fringe that are somewhat self-contained. So not only um, public transport-orientated towns, but towns with their own commercial centres, with their own community space and all of that. This is the kind of planning that we need to be doing. And the new proposed suburb that the government is spruiking at the moment called Wallert. Now, Wallert is going to house 40,000 people. It's going to have five schools. And um, it's actually not very good from a from a planning perspective. Most of Wallert is is still car, car dependent. There's some token medium density. There is a town centre there. So it's a step in the right direction, but it's nowhere near the kind of community that we need in order to create uh, the, the sustainable neighbourhoods that we need. Now, Wallert, as I say, will house 40,000 people. That's less than six months worth of Melbourne's population growth. And it's going to take 10 years to build. It's going to take 10 years to build. So we need to build... A new one of these wallets, pretty much, or the equivalent thereof, we need to build two every year in, in perpetuity in order to create sustainable development. So the question is, is it's about the pace. You know, I don't have a figure about how big or small Australia's population should be. What I care about is climate change targets, biodiversity targets, and creating the socially and uh, environmentally resilient neighbourhoods. And for one, our planning system is just not up to the task. It's, it's, but, so one, we need to change the planning system. And at the very least, we need to slow population growth down until the planning system is up to the task. But even if we are up to the task and we create the most utopian planning system, at some stage we will have to still slow the population growth down because I'm convinced that we cannot create the, the kind of development that we need um, in, in that fast fast pace that, that's required when the population is going so jump in. Yeah, yeah. Can I just, before yeah. he does, because yeah. while he's on Wallert, uh, that's a good example, I think, of the environmental impacts, because it's going to be 15,000 homes, uh, plus the commercial infrastructure, yeah. schools, etc. Yeah. Now, this is part of that last remaining um, grassland yes. in northwest Melbourne, uh, which is pretty rare ecologically. Yes. It's not pretty grassland, but it's bloody ecologically important. And That's right. you know, the, mm. there's, there's also the fauna there, the growling grass frog, etc. Yep. Um, now that's going to take even more of that, and it's virtually destroyed. Yeah, so and it, we'll lose it has that environmental impact as well. And we'll lose two hundred mm. mature red gum trees as well. Uh, yeah. River red gum trees in that in that development. So I mean, I wasn't even talking about the biodiversity. I mean, we could talk about this for an hour, but then there's the biodiversity aspect. Go on, so yeah, you wanted to jump in. Well, I I've got some questions for you. Yeah, please do. Um, please as do. well as some comments. Yeah. Um, because um, some things in what you're saying, and yes. other people from both 
a left-wing and uh, a right-wing perspective on population yep. um, say don't really answer. So sure. when talking about the urban sprawl, well, when talking about the population and limiting population growth, mm. it's sort of tacitly assumed we're talking about immigration from overseas. Mm. But urban sprawl isn't only created by immigration from overseas. It's created by tourism, it's created by international students, it's created by people coming from interstate and people actually areas, having children. Um, and as well as people having children. So that's um so that's one question. Yep. Um I, I think it is is a fatal flaw in the argument. The other thing is you say um having a population that's in sync with um environmental targets, etc. Yeah. And the thing is I don't think that's definable. I don't think we know um, how much population the environment can or can't sustain. We know that, um, you know, the environment's being destroyed at the moment um, massively in, in, you know, all sorts of different areas, not just in terms of energy consumption, but, you know, water and all sorts of things. But I, when you look at the productive Processes. So, say for example, with water conservation, when we had that big drought that went for years in Victoria, mm. and everyone got into water saving, it was mm. a total crisis. Um, you know, all but probably the most backward people started saving water and so forth. Mm. But then I found out that the amount of water we were saving in a year in Melbourne, which was quite substantial by ordinary householders. Mm was being used by Cubby Station, the, um, the um, you know, the cotton. big cotton yeah, farm exactly. up on the border within exactly. a few days. Exactly. There was no pressure on big corporations no. to save water. Mm. So mm. the power plants mm. in the Latrobe Valley mm. were cooling their machines with drinking water, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's crazy. And there was that? no... The, so it's like we don't know really what population is sustainable. I, I challenge anyone to say that we actually know how sustainable population is. And I think even in terms of migration, the world's population would start to even out if we actually address, because we're in an international environment, the environment doesn't stop at the borders of Melbourne or at the borders of Victoria mm. or the borders of Australia. We've got an international environment. What we do affects other countries and what other countries do, exactly. do affects us. And, you know, what we do, what Australia does, and talking about the rich class in Australia and the governments and our military do overseas, have an impact yes. on um, where people migrate to, either voluntarily or involuntarily, including economic migrants. Yes. So, Octa- so BHP goes to PNG mm. and totally destroys mm. a river system. Yeah. And then okay. it does force people to move from a particular area. Yes. Now, all of those people aren't necessarily dying to come to Australia. Yeah. Um, most people, most refugees are not dying to come to Australia. 
Um, they're just dying. Well, oh, they're uh, just I'm, dying. I just and, want to say, I'm not, yeah. not questioning refugee. Yeah, I know, I know you're not. I know you're not. I know you're not. But it's sort yeah. of. But we're having issue, impact. Though. Well, it's sort of separate and connected because even no, no, growing, so-called growing, economic migrants, even so-called economic migrants, growing the population, so Harry Trigovov can can increase his portfolio is very, very different to um, refugee migration. But can I say the population issue should not be seen as a distraction from all of these things. I'm not saying that, well, we should focus on population and ignore the, the, the terrible crimes committed by corp- corporations. This is, this is a, something we also need to consider. Uh, re- that's, that's really very important. In terms of how many people Australia can contain, I agree with you. I don't know. There are different ideas. But what I do know is that urban sprawl and poor quality, a lot of the high density that's being built in Melbourne is so bad that a lot of it's going to probably have to be pulled down in, in, in mm. the near future. And the urban sprawl is so bad um, from a climate perspective. What I want to do is I want to see sustainable planning outcomes. So it's not about how big or small the population should be. It's like, what are the climate emissions um, from doing this? We have a climate emergency. And in a climate emergency, should we be focusing our energy on growing our population purely for GDP purposes? Or should we be focusing our attention on helping ref- refugees, f- investing in proactive foreign aid, which will help other countries um, deal with climate change and provide family planning, and, um, and, and help refugees and create sustainable, resilient communities and preserve the food bowls around our cities so that we can continue to feed, feed the world. So it's about what are the questions we should be asking in a climate emergency. And I can see that the current planning and the urban sprawl that's coming from rapid population growth, which is a deliberate part of the capitalist system, is, is not the thing we should be doing right now, but it is an ongoing conversation. Yes, by the way. Linda, have you got any thoughts here at this stage? Because you've been just sitting back. Finding this totally fascinating. Sorry, I'm just absorbing a lot, mm. but no, it's going. Right, okay. Yep, so did anyone want to add anything? Or? No, no, you can keep going. It's, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I do think it's an ongoing conversation, but what I, what I care about is planning outcomes. There's already evidence to show that new migrants are struggling to to access services because of urban sprawl. So I should think it's going to benefit migrants in the long run who come here if they're going to end up in bad planning scenarios. And it, it, the, the gentrification that comes with a high density, and you're fighting high density development in your own council area, you're, you're fighting the development in Pentridge, which I agree with. But a lot of people are, ju- are justifying high density as a way of saying, oh, we've got a big population, we've got to increase our density to prevent sprawl. But of course, it increases sprawl because it prices people out of neighbourhoods. So it's also pricing uh, from a multicultural community perspective, a lot of multicultural communities within Melbourne are being pushed out of their communities because they're being priced out because of the this sort of high-density kind of furfing. I think the whole issue of, well, services for new suburbs, um, leaving aside the question of whether it's a good development mm. or not, um, that is something which governments can invest in immediately when they start planning a suburb. They should be immediately investing in public transport rather than more toll roads. And that's not what's happening in Victoria, regardless of who's in government. They reserve land for uh, for freeways and tollways, but not for railways, um, railway lines. Um, but secondly, the whole urban sprawl sort of issue as you've rightly pointed out, is being uh, a result of financial speculation. If there was a massive program of public housing, which would include not just building new public housing, but also um, 
basically saying that um, flats or houses that are built by speculators that are empty more than 12 months should be taken over by the state government Mm. for public housing, you'd actually start to see the cost of housing pushed down. Mm. Now, some people who are investing in housing, including maybe well-paid workers who've mm. you know, taken an investment, mm. might be against me for that. I, I, th- I think we've <laughs> got to look at the causes, not the, not the symptoms.